Imagine for a moment that a mysterious illness were to sweep into your town or neighborhood. Not the kind that would just have you stay at home for a few days rewatching a DVD box set, but a far more sinister kind of ailment that would start to take people down, kill them in a matter of days. It might start with a distant acquaintance, a friend of a friend, but then it would move closer killing people you were close to, people you loved and depended on. If you were the nine-year-old Abraham Lincoln in the fall of 1818, then it would come to take your mother, Nancy Lincoln. You know, in this day and age of Western medicine, hospitals, and modern facilities, we don't really truly understand or conceive of the kind of rudimentary medicine that was going on in the early 19th century during Lincoln's youth and boyhood. I mean, a cold is something that could kill you. A common treatment would be to use a bunch of leeches that would sit on your arm and extract blood from you. This was thought to be a common and respected form of, of treatment have diseases such as the cold that would kill you, but other more sinister diseases as well. Cholera, measles, smallpox, these were all common. And they would kill you. And people thought that the, something called miasma, this sort of fog, would contain all of these malicious ailments. People thought that your, your history or your your character might make you more susceptible. Those of those of the community who are less who are less pious might also be more susceptible to these diseases. What in today's terms would be usually small ailments would kill you. Abraham Lincoln's mother, Nancy Lincoln, died of something which the locals came to call milk sickness. Milk sickness was first described in writing by a European-American in 1809. Dr. Thomas Barbie of Bourbon County, Kentucky, detailed its symptoms described as, quote-unquote, the trembles, or the slows, or just simply the illness. He described it as, quote, under which man turns sick and his domestic animals tremble. End quote. It was the frequent cause of illness and death in the Midwest during this time. The fatality rate was so high that sometimes half the people in the frontier settlement might, might suddenly die. And the most common form of treatment, utterly useless, was bloodletting. Abraham Lincoln's life on the frontier had become really legendary. Sometimes difficult to kind of pick out fact from fiction. And it was used in no small part as part of the making of his political image. You know, historians sometimes make the point that Lincoln's efforts to 
connect with his electorate, had him maybe overemphasize his background. But truly, it wasn't something that he was comfortable about uh, and would downplay uh, the story as much as possible and rarely gave interviews about his about his youth. So I think it, uh, I think it was um, an authentic experience because it was a common experience. The frontier life was brutally hard. And uh, I'm often, through my readings of Lincoln, just floored and staggered by the kind of life that, uh, that these people lived. And I wanted to just give a kind of a the Coles Notes summary uh, of Lincoln's life, kind of, cr of a chronology of his, of his boyhood, just to, just to give a flavor of the kind of existence, uh, the iterant, drifting existence that uh, this this young man had to, uh, this young boy had to, this young boy had to endure. Thomas and Nancy Lincoln had come over the Appalachian Mountains into Kentucky in the late 18th century and had married in 1806. Abraham Lincoln once described his father uncharitably as having been a wandering, laboring boy. After the birth of a daughter, Sarah, in 1807, Thomas uprooted his family and moved southwest near what would later become the village of Hodgenville, some 25 miles from Fort Knox. And here on February 12th, 1809, Nancy gave birth to their son, Abraham. His brother Thomas came in 1811, but would later die in infancy. Thomas Lincoln never thrived in Kentucky. Plagued by faulty land titles, Thomas picked up again and headed west for Indiana in 1816. Abraham, then seven, never forgot the brutally hard journey, part of which required the Lincolns to bushwhack their way through thick underbrush without the aid of maps. This is a seven-year-old in winter, in the woods, without a map. Think about it. Not one to plan ahead, Thomas arrived to stake his claim in the teeth of a bitter wilderness winter, and had time only to construct a three-sided cabin, which was exposed to the elements and only just warmed by a fireplace that had to be supervised 24 hours a day. Unbelievable that they survived that winter and endured that hardship. In the spring, Thomas clapped together a tiny wood. In the spring, Thomas clapped together a tiny one-room cabin with a crude packed dirt floor, a dried clay hearth and chimney, and an L-fitting door on leather hinges. This is the wood cabin which would be part of the Abraham Lincoln mythology. This is the wood cabin that he rose to power and preeminence. This is the wood cabin that he started from. And the, the moral of that story is you too can rise from the squalor just as Lincoln had done. And he believed that. And it's a story that is really quite staggering in its, in its, in its rags to, well, not riches, but rags to dignity and leadership. Nancy Lincoln was 34 when she had died of 
Nancy Lincoln was 34 when she died of milk sickness. Abraham helped his father make the crude coffin in which she was buried. Shortly thereafter, Thomas Lincoln left the children behind with their uncle Dennis Hanks to court another bride. For two to six months, Abraham was faced with the absence of his father, who upon his return found his children dirty and poorly clothed. Lincoln later described himself at that time as sad, if not pitiful. One consistency in his life that must have provided the young Lincoln with solace and stability was his sister, Sarah. She was thin but strong. She resembled her father in stature with brown hair and dark eyes. Not unlike Abe, she had a sharp mind and inquisitive in intellect. She remained with her family of origin until she married in 1826. Shortly after setting up her new home, she gave birth to a stillborn child and died of the complications of childbirth. And I have a reminiscence from a neighbor who broke the news to young Abe, and he said, quote, We went out to tell Abe. I never forgot the scene. He sat in the door of the smokehouse and buried his face in his hands. The tears slowly trickled from between his bony fingers and his gaunt frame shook with sobs. End quote. You know, when we think of enterprising leaders in this day, we may assume a background of privilege and care. You know, people born with a silver spoon in their mouth, as the saying goes. Something that, a stability that would give rise to opportunity. In short, we think of a life free of mental torment and anguish. But the truth is that neither privilege or suffering are essential ingredients in the development of a principled leader. There is a convincing correlation between success and stability in one's youth and between mental health and the care of a, of a present and interested parent and subsequent successes. And while hardship can be endearing and provide substance to one's character, it can also damage someone. It can damage their self-esteem. It can make them hardened. It can make them more inclined to survival instinct. Without resilience, without resilience, that kind of hardship can destroy a person. The appearance of a sad, forlorn-looking Lincoln is well The appearance of a sad and forlorn Lincoln is well documented and a significant. The appearance of a sad and forlorn Lincoln is a well documented and a significant aspect to the mystic appeal of the man. It was something that was de developed over the course of the 19th century before and after his death. This idea of Lincoln being a melancholic type of person, which had appeal. Depression then doesn't have the same sort of stigma as it does today. It was almost romantic. But Lincoln came by, came by his melancholia pretty honestly through this hardship, his loss of family members the presence of sudden illnesses that could kill you. It can weigh upon a man. Many people remarked about Lincoln's melancholia. William Hurden, one of uh, Lincoln's first biographers, described him as, quote, 
a sad-looking man, gloomy and melancholic, end quote. Another member of the Illinois Bar said that Lincoln had, quote, a settled form of melancholy, sometimes very marked and sometimes very mild, but always sufficient to tinge his countenance with a shade of sadness, unless a smile could dispel it, which frequently happened, end quote. And with such a litany of harrowing loss, Lincoln's sad bearing is, well, it's understandable. But his quickness to smile and his resilience, that's the, that's the astonishing thing for me. I don't know how I would shore up my spirits if I was used to trudging through wilderness forest without a map, not knowing whether I would be surviving the winter, having family members picked off by illness. I'm not sure how quick to smile I would be. I'm not sure what I would be made of and what kind of resilience I would have. I take... I take solace in knowing that the human spirit can persevere when I read about Lincoln's story. I've mentioned milk sickness as one of the illnesses that came sweeping through the Midwest and killed people. But that was actually a, a fairly unusual type of illness. You know, if the, if the others weren't... Uh, going to kill you, then you'd get these other sort of random illnesses. But typhoid was a big one, or bilious fever, as doctors during the period referred to it as, was also pretty endemic. And in 1835, a wave of typhoid swept through the town of New Salem. And Lincoln was remembered to have helped tend to the sick, build coffins for the dead, and assist in the burials, despite, quote-unquote, suffering himself with chills and fever on alternate days, end quote. There could be no doubt that the waves of death and sorrow would have had a profound effect on this young man and his emotional outlook. It was during this time when he met his uh, first sweetheart, the Anna Mays Rutledge. She was a pretty and bright blonde girl to whom Lincoln often visited and took Miss Rutledge fell sick in August of 1835 and then later quickly died, probably of typhoid and her death greatly affected Lincoln he was remembered to have quote, been evident it was, it was remembered by a, a neighbor John Jones how he had been affected and he he wrote, quote, it was very evident that he was much distressed. He couldn't bear the rain falling on her grave, end quote. Lincoln at this time may well have been close to emotional collapse. Wouldn't you be? He was remembered by a local fellow by the name of Henry McHenry who described Lincoln at this, at this time around Miss Rutledge's death. And he wrote, quote, quote, He seemed quite changed. He seemed retired and loved solitude. He seemed wrapped in profound thought, indifferent to transpiring events, had but little to say, but would take his gun and wander off in the woods by himself, away from the association of even those he most esteemed. His gloom seemed to deepen for some time so as to give anxiety to friend in regard to his mind, end quote. 
it would seem to me that this sounds remarkably like depression, even clinical depression is most likely. For those of you who are interested in this sort of thing, uh, there's a fascinating book by the title uh, Lincoln's Melancholy by Joshua Wolf Schenck, uh, which goes into detail about uh, Lincoln's background and his, uh, his periods of melancholia. And he talks about uh, his quote-unquote major depressions in his 20s and 30s, which gave way to chronic depression. And uh, he reveals through this book uh, treat the treatments that uh, Lincoln had to endure, the bloodletting. And I think that the, under, the undercurrent of the, of the book uh, is how Lincoln gained the strength and insight that he and, and America required to transcend profound darkness. I'm reading that off of the, off the jacket of the book. Yeah, me Lincoln's Melancholy, Joshua Wolfshank. I highly recommend that. When asked to describe his early life, Abraham Lincoln once told a journalist that his entire youth could be condensed into one line from Gray's Elegy the short and simple annals of the poor. And he would shrug, that's my life, and that's all anyone else can make of it. Lincoln's ability to recover from these losses, the loss of his mother, the loss of his father, the unbelievable hardship of growing up on the frontier, the continued specter of sudden and dreadful death would play on anyone. But his ability to recover from these losses and this fear is a mark of the man's fortitude and strength. Despite his obstacles and despite the loss of the family and despite the presence of a disinterested and by all accounts irresponsible father, Lincoln endured. Lincoln not only endured, but he was able to recover and soar. His resilience was developed from a personal perspective influenced by the heavy optimism of the time, the promise upheld by free thinkers of the day, the opportunities that were opening up through the special specialization in the economy, uh, allowing people to leave the farm. Of course, Lincoln's own soaring in intellect and belief in himself provided that momentum to bring himself up from the depths of squalor, poverty, and hardship. He had a moral and a spiritual view that developed and guided him and those he came into contact with. As his spirit rose, so did those in his life. Lincoln's story of hardship and resilience is now part of the mythology and part of the American spirit for developing one's own resolve to become self-made and to lead through hardship. Through hardship Lincoln was created and through hardship and resilience principled leadership is best defined.